Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So today my guest is Christopher Long, and uh, we recently aired your episode, The Man in Number 23. I was I was a huge fan of the story. I mean, it's got a ton of, of elements, and I, I did see some uh, some interaction on Twitter with, with some folks that were talking about some of the, the nods to different things that I initially didn't pick up on. But, you know, going back and listening to it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, that stuff is in there. Yeah, it's um, – when I sort of set out to write it, I – at first, I was aiming to try and do something completely different, and then when the idea hooked me into it, I thought, oh, I really like where this is going. And when I went back and read it again, I thought, oh, I've seen where that's come from now. It's like I I didn't intend it to do it at first, but they fit so nicely into the story, and they carried it through. It just really worked. Yeah, the, the subconscious is always interesting whenever you get into oh, that yeah. realm. So before we, we delve deep into the story, I know you've had a chance to listen to it, which is a little different from the way that we used to do these interviews, because they used to go right at the end of the episode. And basically, because of the timing and, and the amount of work that was involved, usually the authors didn't get to hear the stories before the interview, uh, which is obviously going to be different this season since these are now standalone episodes. Um, and, and we'll give anybody who's listening adequate time to, to drop out and listen to the story first. So let's first talk a little bit about uh, some of the other stuff that you've had going on. Uh, I know you had a new book that came out, and uh, obviously you're continuing to work on short stories and that sort of thing. So so what have you been up to since the last time we talked, since last season? So since last time, I brought out my second novel, uh, which is called Fluff, and was about a man who's driven mad by a little pink bunny rabbit that wakes up beside him every time he wakes up no matter where he goes no matter what he does no matter how he tries to destroy the bunny rabbit it always reappears and it starts to basically drive him insane um which was great because we released that i think this, that was in may last year that came out mm -hmm. and i started to get people sending me stuff on twitter of pictures of pink bunny rabbit toys they were spotting in <laughs> shop windows awesome. or like sort of you know sort of people playing with in the park and they were like they're everywhere <laughs> that's, that's funny it's, and what a, what a great marketing tool, right? Yeah, that's it. The the only thing was like sort of 
I almost became at one point I was going to buy one to take with me if I looked like we had the book launched at one point I was going to be at a couple of other things last year uh-huh. but then knowing where the story goes I started to worry about do I really want to let one of those into my house just in case <laughs> Like the first time you wake up in the morning and it's just beside you, you think, oh, that's not good. <laughs> See, now now you've given people ideas. Maybe, maybe you know, like one of your relatives can sneak into your room and just like put one <laughs> in your bed, right? Oh, yeah. I really don't want to be giving them those sort of thoughts. <laughs> Although that does mean they bought the book, though. So I suppose for a moment before like you get consumed by the nightmare, you can be like, well, that's a sale. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what you need is like someone to show up at a signing or something with one of those. Oh, that'd be so good. I suppose the dream is the day the person turns up in the life-size suit, but again, you know, that's going to raise some questions pretty soon after that <laughs> moment of victory. It'd be like, oh, God, where did you get that made? That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love the concept, though. I know we did a little spot for you last season, right around the time that it came out, and uh, it's clever because you take one of the most innocuous and innocent things, you know, like a stuffed animal from your childhood, and, and you turn it into something to be terrified of which i mean i remember being younger and they used to have uh, i think it was the commercials for like sunny delight and they used to have like this this anthropomorphized sun that would show up and talk to people and i remember watching that and going that's fucking terrifying like in real life if you saw that would you not be fucking terrified yeah you know the kool-aid man same thing right crops up on the back of tv you know sort of adverts and kids shows there's so much stuff that's really creepy there yeah it's like it's it's fun because you're in the fantasy world but like in real life imagine yourself being a child and having you know a gnome pop up in your room you'd be like holy fuck yeah <laughs> you should be terrified um but yeah i mean i, I love the concept uh, and, and uh you know i'm pleased to hear that that people are interacting on twitter and, and really enjoying it yeah, the first one that turned up, it was a real moment of like, I'd never thought that would happen. And I think it was actually with someone in Australia as well. And it's like, God, it got halfway around the world. You know? <laughs> so <they're... laughs> that's tremendous. Yeah, that, that's one of those moments where I'm smug for the rest of the day then. And you can never quite explain to people why. It's like, well, I made a pink bunny rabbit appear on the internet. It was great. That's fantastic. So so if folks want to get the book, is there some place where, where you recommend they go to find it? Yeah, I mean, the easiest place to find it is it's um, it's all on Amazon. If if they go on my site, they can go through the shop and find it. But it's uh, yeah, it's out there either to go on their bookshelf or um, to go on their sort of electronic e-reader of choice. Um, I've still actually got a couple of copies left from the book launch as well. We when we did the book launch, we made like little bookmarks and badges and stuff as well. So I've got to figure out what to do with those at some point. Whether I try and I don't know, like raffle them off or offer them as like signed editions or something. Yeah, there you go. You do a little Twitter giveaway or something like that. Yeah, I still, I'm still kind of wrapping my head around someone comes towards you with a book and asks you to write in the front of that book. <laughs> it still borders on vandalism a bit for me now. Yeah. It's. It's a little bit weird when someone hands you a pen. You're like, you really want me to write inside that? I, I can do, but I just I feel like, you know, am I not ruining it slightly? Yeah, that's the, we we had uh, our first anthology for the lift came out this season, um, and that's the thing. Like, I offered to send some of the the folks that have been instrumental in the show, some of the voice actors and composers and that sort of thing. You know, do you want a copy of the book? And they're like, well, you, will you inscribe it? And I'm like, I I, I guess. <laughs> Wow, I, I'm, I'm, you want me to sign it for you? Okay, all right. It's, yeah, it is a little I surreal. I think it's all the first time I ever signed a book. Someone, like the person I signed it for, looked at it and went, "That isn't your actual signature, is it?" And I was like, "How do you mean?" They're like, "You, you don't want to actually give us your real. You, you need to do like a fake, like writer." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh god, that's a really good point." So I had to, like my first autograph is Tipexed out, and then it's like written underneath it. I just like did a big sort of scrawly version of my name. I was like, "I guess that looks." 
correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you don't want someone taking your signature and using it to cash yeah, checks yeah. for you or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, and, and it's it's funny you say that because whenever we, when I took over uh, the Wicked Library, one of my goals was to get a story by Neil Gaiman on the show, and you know, it was a little more complicated than you know working with indie art authors that are like hey i really want and need someone to find my stories and my work you know where you have an established author like this who kind of brings their own fan base to the show to hear all the indie artists artists um it required us going you know through his legal team and getting his con you know getting his signature on a contract and i do have that you know not framed but stored away somewhere his his actual signature <laughs> on a contract um and i'm like and I've had things signed by by Neil Gaiman before as well, and, and you're correct. They're not the same. It's like it's similar, but and I can tell by the way he makes certain letters that it's him, but it's not his his real signature, which is, as you say, smart. You don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's like if I started dotting the I in my name with my PIN number as well. It's just, like, oh, I've really got to stop doing this. <laughs> so what else have you been working on? Um, well, after that came out, I kind of... After I finished the novel, I had a real point of like sort of it had taken quite a while because I'd had, I'd written a whole other thing that had fallen apart at the last minute, and then when I sort of it's that classic problem if you spot the one loose thread and oh, you yeah. pull it, and the whole idea just collapsed. So like after I'd gone through all of that, and then I, I sort of finished Fluff and we got it out there, I just I sort of thought to myself for the whole of last year I was like, okay, that's it, short stories. So um, Manning Number Twenty Three was one of those. Um, I wrote something for Market Shadows at the Door. Um, sent off a few of the couple of bits and pieces I think are going to be out this year in different publications and it was so nice to just have a story that you get to sort of you know I don't know say sort of 2,000 or 5,000 words and you get to the end and it's like it doesn't have to go on it's like you, there's going to be redrafting but it's not going to be like 200 pages and then your brain goes oh you thought that was a good idea but you missed one fat, fatal flaw on this and it's all <laughs> going to collapse now so yeah last the end of last year was sort of it was so nice to just dip into these little worlds and create these stories and yeah and then just send them out there and just see what happens it was it was a it was a really nice sort of chance to relax in a way yeah even though technically i was i suppose mainly more characters in those stories but it, it felt relaxing right right now it's it's uh, I, I love the short story form i mean it's you, you get you get it's almost like a joke you know it's like you have a you have a punchline you have a, a beginning a middle and an end to it whereas you know the the novel which i have a couple of them sitting on my hard drive that never got finished it's it's a marathon man it's it's oh, yeah. it's a lot of yeah and and you have to be so careful because you know a lot of us i think write them slowly some people write them very quickly obviously but you know you, you have continuity you have to worry about and and like you said there are always those you know that one little thread that that, that could be oh. in there that you pull and it which is i think that's I, I, they're kind of fun in a ghost story like where you, if you if you almost hide a little a little sec, a little something in there that that makes the story collapse, I've heard that that's that's a traditional technique and it's fun to do that. Oh, okay, um, but yeah, I'm like you, I like things I to did a fluff. Um, I I toyed around with the idea of as like the characters started to lose their mind a bit, like sort of. I, you'd play slightly with the grammar and take it apart and do things to see if people noticed it but it turns out when you send that to an editor they just go you missed all this punctuation out and you think oh it doesn't come across as actually trying to be clever it comes across <laughs> as you just wrote this too fast and didn't look back over it it so comes across as you made a mistake <laughs> that's right you have to like put everything with the like, sort of thing after it in brackets saying this I know this looks wrong but trust me just keep reading <laughs> yeah yeah 
So what? So what did you? Uh, what did you do for for Mister Nixon? I mean, I mean, of course, I know you you've had stuff on the site before, and uh, of course, you were in the uh, in the anthology for, for with Gallo Glass, which is one of my yeah, favorite stories in the book. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> yes. But no, it was basically for his podcast. He was ta- he wanted a story I'd written for the site, basically one of the Christmas stories. We took it and sort of basically took it apart and rebuilt it as an audio drama, which was a real sort of experience. It's it sort of writing scripts is so different to writing prose and sort of the prose version of it. I got little bits in with these little sentences I was so happy with because you can't have someone step in and say something that sounds like that in speech because it just doesn't fit with the rhythm of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of so. So Mark and I have both done the same thing to you. I, I know we did that for yeah, you yeah, with right. <laughs> uh, with uh, your your Ripper story last season, and uh, of course, uh, I guess Mark had you do it. So which story was it you did for? Uh, for him, it was a story called Winter's Wings. Oh, okay, okay, uh, which yeah, yeah. Was this thing when I came again, right? You talk about sort of ideas that crop back up. When I came up with this idea, it was where we live now. We're near a um, a cove where a lot of sort of divers and stuff, and there's a load of trees around it where crows sort of nest sort of habitually and it turns out in the spring we'll come and hammer at your windows for some reason like they see their reflection and they constantly peck at the glass and there was something about the sound of crows and I came up with this idea of like a board game which involved crows that then were coming out of the board game and I thought that's great and then we put it up on when I think it was when it first went on the site and within sort of half an hour someone went ah Jumanji and you're like oh I didn't think of that board games of course yeah, that's cool. that's that's cool. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you can incorporate that kind of stuff into into a story. Uh, I mean, of course, I'm always a big fan of your stuff. I mean, I loved the rags on his back, and I haven't actually listened to that episode of, of Shadows of the Door. But you see how we kind of I gave Mark a little nod there. We we, we created a little in for listeners of this show to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe I should check out Shadows at the Door podcast. Uh, you know, we're all friends. Uh, Mark has a similar philosophy in terms of you know trying to create compelling audio and uh you know it's it's uh david alt is is a frequent contributor to our show with his voice so you know it's something that i encourage everybody to to go and check out and of course you know we have the added treat of of having a story by christopher long on that so by all means and i was always so there's one of those things i have when people ask about sort of if, if they find out you write stories and they say oh what do you write and you say horror there's that look that some people get in their eyes <laughs> they're like oh god i can't i can never read that that's that, that's terrifying it's like but ironically the horror community is one of the nicest groups of people yeah. you're ever gonna meet like sort of the, when i first went on twitter and sort of put myself out there as sort of a ghost story writer people just step forward and go oh, i do that yeah. and everybody helps everyone it's brilliant and it's sometimes you feel like saying to someone they're like oh you know horror is too dark it's like but the people behind it are lovely you know, we're, we're the nicest people you could meet. They just happen to be very good at creating nightmares. And and they're some of the most well-adjusted people. I mean, people think that, yeah. you know, people that write this stuff must be twisted and demented. And I'm sure that that can be true for some. But for the most part, I think we get all our demons out. And, and because of that, we're pretty well balanced. I, say, I mean, I knew someone a few years ago who he really loved fantasy stuff. And a lot of his fantasy had that kind of very Tolkien, everything was very gentle and very calm and, you know, very English rural countryside where then, you know, obviously something big and epic comes out of that. And all of these really calm worlds were created by someone who could get stressed at the drop of a hat. Yeah. It's whereas it's like, I think we sort of, I always get the thing, 
I always feel like I'm sort of you channel something out of yourself a bit when you're writing horror. It's you can sort of work stuff out and you can take the darkness out and put it under a microscope a little bit more and see where it leads. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, we had uh, last interview I had was with Meg Haftall and she said something that I thought was really interesting, which is whenever you're reading these horror stories, you're meeting these characters on their worst day and yeah. seeing how they react to that. And I think that that is in a way therapeutic because you know what scares us is what we put into our stories and 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 through that. I I think there's some therapy that occurs yeah i was listening to oh what was it? it was an interview with a british comedian she was saying about one of the scariest things she had as a kid was she basically had a chance to watch something like say the shining mm-hmm. and turned it down but then could hear it coming through the bedroom floor <laughs> And, you know, because it's almost like closing your eyes on a roller coaster, I guess. It's sort of the fear comes out of what you're missing, but what is going on at that point? And I've always thought there must be some great story there, which only hinges on a kid who doesn't see anything, but is left freaked out on their own in the dark. Because it's like, I know the stuff that scared me as most as a kid. It would be like, say, an episode of Jim Henson's The Storyteller, which when you look at it now, isn't that bad. But sort of once you've watched it and you go to bed and the lights are switched off, all of that stuff just mutates into something completely different for a few hours. And it's, yeah, I, I, if I never crack that, I think that'd be a really good story one day. Yeah, the, the fear of the dark is one of the most visceral and, and earliest fears that we have. And, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, everything else stems from later in life is the unknown. Yeah, I had the... Um I had the pleasure once of it was the first time I saw the American remake of The Grudge which isn't the scariest film but it's got its like jumpy moments yeah we watched it around a friend's house and he sort of dropped me home afterwards and you know you do that thing of like yeah it didn't get to me I'm fine and got into the house in the dark I resisted turning the lights up I was like no, no, no don't turn the lights on it's like I'm not, I don't need to it didn't get me that much I'm fine and I got upstairs still not turning any lights on and feeling like yeah I've conquered this I'm not scared and I shut the bathroom door and something brushed the back of my neck and I cleared the bathroom from the door <laughs> to the sink in like a heartbeat and a shriek and when I look back it was just my wife had left her dressing gown on the back of the door and it had just this fluffy sleeve it just like so yeah. just, just brushed me but yeah all of that bravado of like nah didn't get me at all just gone in a heartbeat <laughs> it's funny you know this how those those early fears stick with you and, and and follow you through life even whenever you're old enough to know better there are those moments where logic leaves you and you're just like terrified i mean i remember one of my uh one of, one of my aunts when i was very young i used to go over and visit on occasion and she would tell me it was the weirdest thing it, it, it's it's the strange i've never heard anybody else tell this but that whenever you're in bed at night you never sleep with your back facing out from the bed because then the devil can sneak up on you and get and and, and grab Whoa. you <laughs> And as a child, I was terrified of the devil. So that was like, I still, you know, whenever I'm laying in bed, if I, if I'm, and I, you know, face inward now, but I, for like a brief second, it always pops back in my head and I'm like, oh, that's just silliness. But it's still there, isn't it? All it takes is that like slightly open door, you know, just to let the idea in. That's right. I had that. We stayed at a place once. um, I was down in Cornwall, I think. And like sort of it was just a normal little holiday cottage but it was one of those things where like the stairs went right up into the bedroom and i sort of ended up sleeping on the side of the bed by where the stairs were and i don't know why but i could never sleep for like the first two or three nights i was just sort of really tossed and turned couldn't doze off and then we tried swapping sides and i slept fine <laughs> and it's to the, like and to be fair like my wife sam who slept who swapped sides with me she was okay on that side of the bed but there was just something about knowing that staircase was at the foot of the bed just 
I don't know, it just worried me. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It was slightly annoying when she was like, no, I slept like a log. It's like, oh, damn it. I really thought I felt something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you're more sensitive to these things than she is. Yeah, I suppose that's it. If I'd have already been doing the horror stories, you'd have got that look like, you know, when people have a cat and it responds to something in the room that isn't there. And there's always like sort of there's half of you goes daft cat. And the other half of you goes, what's it seeing that I can't see? Exactly. Yeah. Now, it's, uh, and you know, Stephen King has said before, that's kind of one of the problems with, with writers and, and, and the evening is, is we've taught our imagination to misbehave. And in, in the evening, whenever it's dark, anything is possible. So you combine those two things and your mind just goes in strange directions, I think. Yeah. And it's always odd as well. Like if someone ever stops you and says like, oh, I've got a great idea for a horror story. It's always like a good idea. But the really interesting ideas will come from the most random sort of place you know it won't be from someone going i heard a spooky story about a church it's like um ages ago i had the thing of i've never quite put this into a story yet but as i'd gone to the dentist and as my dentist leant over me his stomach growled and just part of me went eh, a cannibal stomach would do that at this point and i still think <laughs> somewhere out there there's a story about either a cannibalistic dentist or that moment will come into something one day that's fantastic i love it so let's talk a little bit about the man in number 23, um, either the man himself in number 23, or we can talk about the story or both. Um, yeah. So, or the men in number 23 is it sort of becomes by the end of the story, but it, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun how that happens. Like the, the, the thing that he fears most actually replaces his neighbor. Yeah, that was it. I, I really love that idea. It's sort of, I've never lived in a flat myself, but like my friends who have, like whenever you stay over there, and there's always that thing of, like particularly at night, I always have the, you know, you would hear people in the other flats moving around, and it wouldn't bother the person who lives there. But I'm always like, there is constant movement around you, and half the time you never see anyone to put that movement to. There's just like footsteps in a closed door, and it's, it's really easy to think of that sort of void being filled by the one face you don't want to see on the other side of like your sort of spy hole in the door. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm I'm always a big fan of things that have more than one meaning, and, and to me, the title is brilliant for for that very reason as well. You know, like you said, the man in number twenty three. Is he talking about the man in number twenty three when we start the story, or is he talking about the man in number twenty three, which is who has replaced him by the end of the story? Um, and, and it works both ways, obviously. But it, it's a it's a great slow boil, which I'm a big fan of. You know, the, the the slowly building dread. We start out in a very normal kind of situation and, you know, it, it, it becomes, you know, you have all these quirky, interesting neighbors, the one that collects the antique cat skulls and uh, et cetera and so on. And then you get to, you know, probably what seems to be the most innocuous of them, the guy that just works for the film company. And then that becomes the doorway for this very creepy undersea creature. Yeah, and it was, I mean, that's really where the whole thing first started, was I, we, um, I was on Netflix, I think, they released one of the David Attenborough Blue Planets, and I'm sort of, I'm not great with nature documentaries for someone who's was never really raised with a pet. It turns out that I relate to animals on nature documentaries at about the time they get eaten by the bigger, nastier animal. So it's like every time I sit and watch one of those things, I always find myself going, oh, I think it's going to make it. And then every time it gets absolutely devoured. Yeah. But because this Blue Planet stuff had been getting so much attention, we put it on and it was sort of for all the you know the dolphins and stuff that we were expecting that when they showed the deep sea stuff it's like that is lovecraft live from somewhere else on this planet right yeah. now 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're you're in the you're in the dark realm where where Cthulhu's living, and it's it's just uh, yeah. And, and so I have to ask, like the the entity that you created with the footsteps, what what made you decide that? Because it's super creepy. What made you decide that that putting the footsteps on the the, the floor of the ocean was going to be the part that made the story extra creepy? I think it was it was just that thing of trying to take the most normal everyday thing that we see, you know, sort of here. And if you just put it in that place where you know, there's no sunlight and there's no life that you would recognize, just the idea of bare footsteps walking across the bottom of the ocean. It's, yeah, it was one of those images. Once it clicked into place, it's like, that's definitely staying in this story. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. And, you know, um, obviously, Nico uh, Viteze does a lot of our, our scoring. I'd say most of it, because uh, I jokingly, tongue-in-cheek sort of refer to him as our resident composer which is not far from the truth um but he he sent me you know i send the stuff off to him and i send him the script and usually i'll send him the script um or the story uh early you know so he'll get that kind of when it's picked and then you know once it gets recorded then i i go through and i do the editing and the mastering and everything and then i send him the vocals and i go okay here's the the vocals go ahead and write the music um and he starts writing the music based upon the story itself so which is to me it's always been fascinating because i'm like how do you do that um uh, but i guess it's no different than the way that we construct a story and see visual images as we're writing or see visual images and you know almost kind of translate those into text he reads the story and he hears music to it. Uh, so a lot of times I'll send stuff over to him, you know, the vocals and within a couple of hours, within a couple of days tops, he'll send the stuff back to me and he, you know, here's your score because he's already started to kind of compose it prior to, uh, but you know, he, he oftentimes will comment on the stories and, and you know, I think the email, I could probably dig it up, but I think it pretty much just says Christopher Long is a brilliant writer. Oh man. Well, I mean, he's a brilliant composer. His music always gets me. Yeah. It's one of those things where sort of, obviously you write the story, you know where it's going, but his score always draws you into it so well. Yeah. And I mean, it's like with sort of listening to The Man in Number 23 as well, um, Louis' performance, the way he goes from, you know, sort of like you say, like the beginning is, is almost conversational, but the moments when he starts to lose it, I worried for the guy. I was like, is he okay? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he did a great job on that. That's uh, he's always a great performer, and uh, you know, I, I look for opportunities to use him for for stories, and uh, he's he, he does he he makes that's one of the things that I thought too when I listened back to the performances. Here's where he's starting to crack, and here's yeah. where he's really lost it. And at the point at the end, you're just like, oh my god, I feel bad for this guy. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's like I feel bad I put him through that because he's, he, when he sort of those points where that character is sort of facing the you know sort of the biggest fears he's going to have to go through, you you really feel like he's he's almost in the corner shaking and sort of like rocking backwards and forwards. It's, <laughs> yes, it's really palpable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 always one of the things that I, you know as as the, the the person that kind of mixes everything together and puts puts it out there that, that I find the most rewarding is kind of the author reactions whenever they hear it and. Um, you know, a lot of authors have, you know, they're like, oh, I was worried for my character or I knew what was coming, but I was surprised when it happened and that sort of thing. And that's just that's a great vocal performance and, and compelling scoring uh, that, that does that. So, you know, those are the two of the most important parts of the process. 
That's it. And it's always one of the things I love about sort of once a podcast is out there is just every so often I'll run into someone I've not seen in a while who sort of they've seen the promotion and listened to it and they've not mentioned it to me until they're face to face. And you get that sort of that combination of, I suppose, it's like respect and concern for you at the same time of like, <laughs> that was really well done, but do you need anything? Are you all right right now? <laughs> Although, I mean, like, sort of, that was the thing I had with, like, after writing The Man in Number 23, part of me is now concerned about going near the ocean or even, you know, sort of carrying on watching those documentaries just for the thought of the people who are filming it and just this sense of, you know, surely it would get to them. And it's like, would you start to see stuff? And actually, is that stuff there? Because, I mean, once you get deep enough in the ocean, it appears pretty much anything is possible as long as you're thinking, you know, terrifying an alien. It seems to be down there and waiting for a way to come up. Yeah, Absolutely. So, uh, was there anything when you were writing the story itself that was a struggle for you or anything that you, you kind of had to overcome to, to get to the end? And the thing it, at first, when I was trying to write it, because I knew I wanted to do the thing of kind of bookending it with it almost, you know, you being told the story and then the end is it coming to its grisly conclusion after you've heard sort of how he got there. Yeah. I kept jumping the gun a little bit too much and going too soon into it. And it was trusting the idea of, at first it is, you do almost feel like it's someone just telling you how they ended up in a not great place. And then it's almost that point where he sees the film for the first time, even before, you know, you see that guy under the sea smiling. It's, you trust the imagery to sort of start to creep people out before they get then to the reveal and then to the idea that it even follows into his front door. It was almost like I was so happy with the end in my head that I wanted to get there quicker. And it's like, no, 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 you've got to let it build. Otherwise, yeah. it's just going to be sort of too full on straight away. Yeah, you got to tease a little bit before you get there. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, that is one of my crimes like when I'm writing a story. I mean, maybe more with novel length, but I'm, I'm not brilliant since I was really, if I've got a short story I really get into, I just want to write the bit that's in my head, but I'm not one of those people that can write a scene and then stick it in. I have to try and go sort of from the start to the end of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I get slightly impatient. And then you sort of look at it and go like, no, that's the, you need actual pacing and plot. You can't just have like sort of sequences <laughs> of pure terror. Now, I, I, well, I mean, I think you solve it well because, you know, the, the gala glass is like that too, where you, you start off with, it's just another first person story where, you know, you start off with the, uh, the character basically just saying, oh, so you want to know what I do, do you? And, and, and you don't know who he is until you you're get through the, you know, to, past the midway point of the story where you start to realize that this is not a warm and friendly <laughs> individual that you want to spend a lot of time with. You know, the really weird thing with the Gallo Glass, in fact, I've not told Mark this, I, um, that pub itself, the Gallo Glass, turned up in a story I wrote years ago, and I forgot. Oh. It's really odd. I was going through, I, I sort of had that habit of just saving everything. Like you were saying about like having the unfinished projects, like right. I've got a few folders. And I was trying to think about like sort of ideas for, you know, sort of a third horror novel. And I sort of went through a load of old things, and I found this story that involved a couple who get lost on the road and end up in a pub called the gallo glass and i was like i don't ever remember putting that there but i obviously some seed of it stuck in yeah. my head so when it came to telling that story it came back again so it's yeah it's already out in other places so it's i'm almost tempted now one day to try and weave it into something else and just have it in the background well, hey, there's nothing wrong with plagiarizing yourself. I mean, that's, exactly. <laughs> you know, you put all this work and effort into creating it. I do that a lot of times, too, where I'll go back and I'll look at prior things that I've written, written and I'm like, well, I can steal this character or, you know, <laughs> I can steal this setting and, and put this in this story because it's just sitting there doing nothing. Um, and it, it's a little bit of fun, too. I mean, we've when I uh, 
was was pretty serious about getting back into writing years ago. We had a, a kind of a, a small group of, of writers. We would get together, you know, once every other week and kind of go through each other's work and read little bits and pieces. And we used to play that game too, where we would be like, oh, that scene in your story where you had the three deer that were running through the woods. Okay, well, here's what happens before that scene occurs. And the three deer are also oh, in my please. story. So, you know, you, you kind of cross pollinate each other's stories, which is fun. Yeah, I think it was it my first sort of six slightly well no, they were short stories, I guess. They were sort of classes novellas when they came out, but they were slightly long short stories. I did the thing of there's little bits in all of them that kind of cross over, so the same law yeah, the same solicitors turn up in three or four of them and the couple from one story are actually in another story buying a picture in a shop a guy's in and it's the sort of things I put in there and it's like I'm sure no one will ever spot it but it just made me smile Yeah, you know like that sort of fourth or fifth draft where you're like oh I really want to get this story out of my brain <laughs> you just put something in there just to sort of like perk yourself up a bit and yeah there was, there was quite a bit of that <laughs> I sort of went back and looked later on and it's like I think I might be channeling that 15 year old version of myself who watched Pulp Fiction way too many times <laughs> well it's a uh one of our one of our recurring authors on the show, uh, Al Goingback, and I had talked a little bit about that too. And you know, just the, the the joy of putting little things from one story into another story that most readers won't get, but whenever someone does, it's 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 like the little you get the same. They get I think the same joy out of it that you do by kind of burying it there. It's you know you have that little well, buried treasure. In I did hide one in fluff that links to the first novel I released, Something oh. Needs Bleeding. And it's always that thing, I'm just waiting to see if anyone ever sort of comes up and asks me, like, is it my imagination or is that talking about you know, this other thing from another novel? And it's like, I'm just leaving it out there one day just to see. If it's the person who turns up in the giant pink bunny suit, then I know I probably found a slightly scary <laughs> fan. But I think that's two sales, technically, if they read both books, though. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are some new things that you're going to be working on and, and things that folks can be looking out for? Well, the big thing at the minute is I'm trying to figure out the third novel. It's I've had I've got an idea which I'm still I'm I'm puzzling it out. But when they did the new Halloween that came out last year, uh-huh. and this idea of you know obviously Michael Myers as a character had been played by a number of different people, but it was just this thought of because obviously like with Texas Chainsaw Massacre like sort of it, it's sort of renowned that um, Gunnar Hansen was like the nicest guy in the world but he's known as you know Leatherface everywhere and I there's, I really want to write a story that involves an actor who plays one of those slasher characters but at the same point I want to do something with it because the obvious first thought is like oh they become you know something sort of hellish or they're drawn into that world and it's like I, I think there's something more interesting I can do with it but I'm still there's basically just a, a file on my computer that's just full of random sentences that I think if it was a handwritten journal would look like something from the start of seven because yeah. it, it's all weird <laughs> sort of solutions and possible ideas and horrible moments but yeah I really I'm, I want to try and write something that revolves around one of those guys because the idea of being an icon in horror and how that must affect your career and you wanting to be other things but having to also embrace that monster to be successful and then particularly if that franchise came back and didn't use you i think it'd be from really interesting in that oh yeah so yeah yeah that anyone who follows me on twitter that's basically whenever i've been moaning recently and saying i can't figure this thing out that's what i've been trying to work out for a while <laughs> so it's like i suppose it's how long i stick with that before i go back onto short stories just to get away from it because that's why i sort of did mid fluff as well is like sort of you go i think i did like maybe two drafts and then it's like okay i need to just go somewhere completely different for a while um, and then, you know, go back to it once I sort of cleared my head out. So, yeah, this year I'm, I'm, I'm determined to figure it out. And it's also that thing of 
both of my like my previous novels have got strange twists to them or they they sort of they they the reality of them changes as you go through the book and i want to write something that's a straighter narrative i think so i i never quite do that yeah. there must it must be at some point every time as i'm sort of halfway through writing the book i must make the mistake of watching lost highway or something again and go <laughs> yeah characters do change and all the characters i could do that <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, man. If that's if no, that's, no, that's that, it. I, I'm yeah. sort of like I sat and watched Taxi Driver for the first time in ages the other week, and it's such a great story, and the way his entire sort of reality just you know narrows into that sort of dead place by the end of it. Oh yeah, I'd love to try and do that and pull that off, but I yeah I still think I'm going to get halfway through it and be like, and then everything changes. <laughs> That, yeah, the the non the non linear path is always interesting. There's a guy I used to work with, a friend of mine, who he was always under the impression that when Tarantino wrote *Dust Till Dawn*, he got halfway into writing a really solid kidnap drama, but was bored and just went, "Ah, they're all vampires." <laughs> just the equivalent to it was all a dream. It's like they're all vampires now. Now we just we deal with this for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I just watched that recently because I was. Uh, um, out in, in San Diego for a convention and uh, spent some time going to the zoo and doing other things. And while I was out there, I was like, yeah, why not head to Mexico? Because um, I used to live in Arizona. I used to go to Mexico all the time. So I was like, yeah, I'll go to Mexico. And while I was there, I was like, why not watch Quentin Tarantino's From Dust Till Dawn? <laughs> you know, it's, you have to. It's it's kind of a requirement. And, yeah, and, and I, I had I had kind of the same, the same philosophy. I was like, I bet that he just was like, yeah, this isn't working. Let's put vampires in it. Yeah, because they do it. The way they turn up absolutely out of nowhere is like the first time you watch it. I mean, obviously, all the advertising, it was clearly going to be a vampire movie, but you get so drawn into sort of his style of writing and those characters that you sort of, it's almost like halfway along. It's, it's almost like Robert Rodriguez just took the wheel and went, let me have some fun just for a while. A little less talking and just a little bit more like sort of violence, please. And yeah, every, it, I mean, it still gets me now, but that first time I watched it, it was like, whoa, more films should do this. <laughs> Yeah, and, and how creepy is Tarantino's character in that movie? I mean, oh, I know. He's just so far oh. gone. It's <laughs> it, it's always that thing with him, isn't it? Where it's like he always loves to do the the, the cameo role, and it's like I, I would say nine times out of ten he pulls it off really well. Oh yeah. The one I'm never sure about is it Django Unchained when he's the Australian cowboy. <laughs> That's maybe the one where I'm like, that was just a that was a step too far, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> tremendous. Although then again, I mean, we're going to talk about too far. He's the oh, what is it? He's one of the soldiers in Planet Terror, isn't he? Because was there, I swear, like they released the action figure of him, and it's called something like Rapist Two. It's like, <laughs> oh my god! Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's an interesting guy. He is. Yeah. So speaking of interesting guys, where can folks find you on social media and and uh, maybe give your website information? Folks want to follow you and find more of your work. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm on Twitter pretty much every day. Um, so that I'm on at CJ Long Chris. And I've got my website, which is CJ Long Words, um, which is sort of it's I try to put interviews and stuff up there with people I know, but I've kind of fallen behind on that. But I've got a blog I put up most weeks. The blog slightly changed at the minute. I kind of I was writing these 2000 word sort of 
well, not rants, but sort of whatever was on my mind at the time. Um, in fact, actually saying about spoilers earlier, one of them ended up being one I released. I was going to go and see the movie of the Dark Tower because I love the books. Mm-hmm. And then I heard how the movie ended oh, and yeah. I cancelled my ticket and went and wrote a really, really angry. I don't think you can call it a review if you haven't watched it, but just reaction to what they decided to do, which even though I titled it spoiler, I think it did spoil it for quite a few people. Um, but yeah, now I'm not doing that. I'm um, What I do is I sort of, I keep an eye out during the week for like random people and I'll try and base the story on one person a week. So I've been, I think there's like the 16th one of those comes out, I think tomorrow. Um, so yeah, there'll always be one of those every week and um, I'm on Facebook as well on Plot Monkey. Okay. I usually try and post some stuff on there as well when I get a chance. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for taking the time to talk. I mean, I know you were you were just getting over a cold a couple of days ago, and it's it's obviously six hours later there than it is here, so it's uh, it's rather late. And I appreciate you taking the time to do it. Oh, it's no problem, man. It's a pleasure, and thank you very much for the, um, releasing the story. Like I say, it sounds fantastic. I'm so glad you were happy with it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to put together, so I'm glad you were pleased with it. Definitely. Definitely.